0: Hollywood, it's Rated LGBT Radio, starring your host,
1: Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. Um, Yes, I am your host, Rob Watson, and today... We are going topical. Um, in the past few weeks, we've had some really great shows, um, really talented people from Warrior Nuns to Chaz Bono to uh, Chaz's horror film uh, to last week, um, a film in progress um, that is a romantic love story um, based on two, two uh fictional young men in uh, Minnesota. Today we get serious. Today we are going to talk about some pressing topics uh, that are happening politically and culturally in our country. Um, It is an important show. We are going to talk about a news story that is in development. So it hasn't even hit the press yet, but it will shortly. Um, Our main focus is our the LGBTQ kids who are under siege in this country. Um, Red state after red state after red state are passing laws attacking queer and trans kids. They're instituting, quote-unquote, don't say gay bills. They're um, anything that is outreach or help for LGBTQ students is being labeled as, quote-unquote, grooming. Um, any information about LGBTQ culture is being labeled as woke. Um, trans kids specifically are, their health care is under fire. Their parents are under fire. Um, and worse of all about all of this is just the public discussion of this in front of them and um, being thrown in their faces. Um, making them feel even further oppressed and further marginalized than they would feel otherwise. So the the description of the show today, the fascist-leaning arm of the Republican Party is moving fast and hard against LGBTQ kids. As concerned advocates warn of blood on your hands, the power brokers in many red states blatantly do not care. Um, And then that leads us to the question, who can at-risk LGBTQ LGBTQ youth turn to? The logical answer that most of us would come up to and most of us would bring up in conversation is the Trevor Project. We've been donating to the Trevor Project for years. We've been making videos. We've been telling younger kids it will get better, Um, all of that. Well, apparently, due to issues that um, our friend Brody Levesque on the show today will give us a report, that organization is falling down on its ability to help these kids when they need it the most. Um, We're also going to talk to Lance Preston. Lance is the founder and executive director of the Rainbow Youth Project USA. Uh, we'll talk about what that organization is stepping up to and providing, um, as well as to give us a real snapshot um, on on the ground of what is happening with these kids, how they're dealing with mental health, housing instability, health care assistance, and legal affairs, among other things. Um, so that is what we are in tune to in store for, for today. We're happy that you're here. And with that, I do want to welcome to the show Brody Levesque. Brody is the um, editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine um, and the co-host of the program. With the news of the day, Brody, what is happening?
2: Well, it's been kind of a widespread of LGBT news today. None of it good. Uh, I'll kick off with uh, Tampa Pride announced earlier today that they were axing their pride on the river which they do every September it's billed as a family friendly event and this was done because Florida governor Ron DeSantis uh signed a bill that essentially uh will hold businesses accountable if the establishment admits a child to a live adult performance and they've been using that as a weapon against drag um Speaking with the Tampa Bay Times yesterday, Kerry West, who's the president of Tampa Pride, said in the end, we didn't want to take any chances. So this is becoming a pile on, especially in the state of Florida. Uh, Tampa Bay uh, Pride's cancellation is now the sixth in the state that we are aware of, which also includes booting drag from a parade in wilton manners which is actually a gay mecca in the state of florida used to be key west but it actually shifted north to wilton manners and they're going to put pride on but they're going to put a lot of events behind a 21 and up um the parades for all intents and purposes canceled drags been removed and again it's not just the only pride in florida that's done it and this is a directly
1: I just want to jump in here. This frustrates the hell out of me just because why are we backing down? Why are they not looking at pride and reinventing it as a protest march, which pride was originally? It's like I'm really confused why these organizations, I think they've gotten too complacent as pride as these corporate celebratory events that they're kowtowing to this oppression. It's, I mean, this is the time we get up and protest and fight and not sit back and um, let Desantis win. I it just it it really boggles my mind as to the
2: direction these organizations are going in.
1: So, anyway, Reverend, if you have
2: commentary on that, but. let me let me further annoy you. On Monday, Florida Republican U.S. Senator Marco Rubio issued a statement that condemned the Los Angeles Dodgers Major League Baseball franchise for a scheduled Community Hero Award that was to be given to the Los Angeles chapter of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence drag group during Pride Month in June. Actually, on Pride Night at Dodgers Stadium. The Florida Republican, in his letter to Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, stated that he was questioning whether Major League Baseball was inclusive and welcoming to Christians, and then he took a pot shot at the Sisters of perpetually Aid, calling them something that is just a mockery and a perversion uh, of the faith and the religion of Catholics around the world. This was echoed by New York City-based anti-LGBT Catholic League, which is headed by Bill Donahue, who's a major hater. No other way of putting it. Um, anyway, long story short, so everybody was all fired up about it. Well, the Dodgers finally responded yesterday. I'm not going to read you all their statements, but let me read you this part. We are now aware that our inclusion of one group in particular, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, in this year's Pride Night, has been the source of some controversy. Given the strong feelings of people who have been offended by the Sisters' inclusion in our Pride Night evening and in an effort not to distract from the great benefits that we have seen over the years of Dodger Pride Night, we are removing them from this year's group of honorees, basically kicking the drag contingent to the curb. Now, why is this so bad? Well, let's start with Eric Broberman is the vice president of marketing and promotion for the L.A. Dodgers. He's actually gay, and he and his husband have been feted several times at Dodger Stadium. Oh, you want worse? Out lesbian, Billie Jean King is a minority owner of the Dodgers. So I've been hearing from Equality California and various legislative um, folks. Uh, Outstate Senator Scott Weiner, who is a friend of the show, we've had Scott on. He tweeted about this yesterday after I told him what happened. Here's from Scott. Really sad to see the Dodgers cave to pressure and kick drag queens out of a pride celebration. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence do amazing life-saving work in the community. We expect more from our sports teams even the Dodgers. Now, understandably, Scott represents San Francisco. He's a Giants fan, so that kind of shade, I get. But it was good shade. I've heard from three county supervisors, Assemblymember Rick Zuber, who's also been on the show, openly gay guy. I've heard from the LGBT Center of Los Angeles. I heard this morning from the mayor of West Hollywood. Um, I haven't heard anything out of the city of Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass, but I'm pretty sure I will. Um, the reaction to this is kind of mirroring what you just said, because you don't understand why these pride organizations are like the Dodgers, caving in. Um, there is a historic precedent here that I think people aren't getting. And that is that the very first pride was literally a three-day running battle with the New York City Police Department. And I I think that's something that people tend to forget. The parade the very next year that was put on by uh, my friend Mark Siegel, who's the publisher of the Philadelphia Gay News, and his crowd at the Gay Liberation Front in New York City, that very first Pride, Christopher Street Pride, okay, was to celebrate, and it was still a protest. They were marching in the streets. They continued to do that. And this is one of the things that people need to understand. Pride was never about a corporate party. Pride was always a protest. Pride was always to make a statement. You know, Governor DeSantis on Wednesday, which was the international day, okay, of raising awareness against homophobia and, and transphobia across the world, you know, I have a, I have on a reliable source within the governor's office that DeSantis intentionally picked that day, Wednesday, okay, mm-hmm. to sign four hugely anti-LGBTQ laws, including the one that caused Tampa Pride to cancel Pride on the River. And not only that, but his staff picked a rabidly anti-LGBT Christian school in Tampa called Cambridge Christian. Now, This is not the first time DeSantis has pulled something evil. Two years ago, at the beginning of Pride Month on June 1st, this clown signed a bill in his hometown of Jacksonville that basically barred transgender youth from sports teams. So, you know, this is what it's all about. The thing is people need to understand, okay, speaking up has got to happen, shifting just to another headline. Yesterday, the Texas Senate passed Senate bill 14. Senate Bill 14 essentially does what's happened in 18 other states and it bans gender affirming care for trans kids, including hormone therapy, etc. okay this is a non-surgical. this is just puberty blockers, hormone therapy, okay A provision of the bill, Okay, like a couple of other states would make it a crime for a physician in Texas to treat kids. We've already had problems in Texas. Governor, uh, the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, literally a year ago, sick child protective services on the families of trans kids. Mm -hmm. We're still seeing blowback in courts on that one. You know, and then to add to that nonsense, this morning I got one from the ACLU of Mississippi, and they're taking a Gulfport High School, Harrison Central High School in Gulfport, Mississippi, and ACLU Mississippi is taking them into court because a graduating transgender student was told, told she could not wear a dress or heeled shoes, okay? She was specifically misgendered. The principal says, and I quote, He needs to wear pants, socks, and shoes like a boy. You know, it's a pile-on. In in Montana, we saw what happened to Representative Zoe Zephyr. I mean, the Republicans literally threw her out in the hallway. Okay? You know, it's all directly relative to the same thing. Whether people like it or not, the big push here by the Republican right and the white supremacists and the Christian nationalists you know they're not targeting you and me, Rob. They're not targeting lesbians. They're not. They're not even really targeting, you know, buyer Claire. You know what they're targeting? Children. They're no. going well, after. They, our they kids. are.
1: They are going after kids, but they are going after us as well in a broader sense, especially those of us who are parents. And they are targeting the parents of of, of transgender kids who. You know, those parents are trying to do the best things for their kids. They're trying to do things to keep their kids from falling into detrimental mental health, from suicide, from serious life issues. And that is none of their frickin' business that they should be involved in that. Plus, the motivation behind this is there are no threats. of of any of the stuff they're doing. None of the stuff they're doing threatens their lives in any way. It is all for political gain. It is all, and and this is why I have no problem calling them fascists because that is exactly the MO of of fascist methodology. Um, I do want to backtrack on a couple of things, though, Brody, with the the Dodgers situation. And Mm -hmm. this isn't to justify the dodgers but a nuance there on what is is coming down there is the sisters of perpetual indulgence are a direct criticism of the catholic church that is part of their art is 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 a front on in your face attack of the catholic church which has been oppressive to gay people over the years so you know, in that regard, if I were the Dodgers and I was doing what I think would be the right thing, I would say to the, the Catholic Church and those people making a big deal, saying um, we will go ahead and downplay our award to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence on one condition, that at the beginning of Pride at Night, we read a proclamation from you apologizing to the LGBTQ community and all the people in it that you and your doctrines have harmed over the years and If you're not willing to do that, then we open our arms to the sisters of perpetual indulgence You know that's that's where I would leave that but I still want to go back to these pride organizations because you know the Dodgers and People organizations like that. They're always you know the rock to the hard place of trying to please everybody They're not really part of the community. They're, you know, they're trying to win favor for whatever reason, whether they think it's the right thing or whether they're just trying to sell more rainbow-colored tickets, whatever. But Pride organizations is what you said and what I said. They have forgotten the purpose of Pride. They have forgotten that this is a protest. This is a stand-up and be counted moment. And, you know, that is because people of our generation are not the ones in charge anymore. The people in charge are people who have come after the fight, the people who come after the battles have been won. And they're the ones that need to get back to the history of where we come from and what we had to do and what they need to do to not sit down and be overrun by this stuff.
2: So there's my two cents. Well, it's, you know, right now it's just kind of a, it's a, it's a tough, tough, tough situation. And,
0: you know, we're, we're in
2: a position where we need to be able to hold, you know, our so-called allies accountable. Um, I think because the Dodger has a minority lesbian owner and because their VP, one of their senior VPs is gay, I, I think that caving in to Rubio and the Catholics uh, is reprehensible. Well, yeah, it's, I it's, I mean, it's there, wrong.
1: There's a slippery slope there. I mean, what you know, what what um, uh, what religious group are they going to listen to next because they're doing something that goes against that particular religion? I mean, that's, well, that's, that's a my, whole slippery slope there. Yeah, but um, I mean, at, at the very least, if they if they're they. They should not make this about drag. They should not bend on the drag issue. The fact that that group was a direct affront to, you know, and, and a confront to the Catholic religion, that's a separate nuance. But, um, you know, they should, they should have a drag queen, you know, replace it with more drag if, if they really want to make a statement. Because it is folding to this pressure that is where we're going to lose. That's what happened in Nazi Germany. It wasn't the fact that the Nazis came through and started mandating all this stuff. It's that people folded, you know, and gave up their power against this kind of oppression. So, you know, mm-hmm. we need to get involved. I'm sorry. We just yeah, yeah, we
2: don't disagree. Yeah.
1: So, so, okay, well, let's, let's move on to the kids. And, um, with that, I do want to bring uh, Lance into the discussion. He's been waiting patiently on hold.
0: Uh, Lance, welcome to the show. Thank you. And, and I have to say, first and foremost, just to add a little bit about what you said, um, our organization, the Rainbow Youth Project, as Brody knows, is founded and led by people of the ACT Queer Nation um, protests in the 80s and 90s. And, uh, We agree we have a tendency to go where the fire is simply because that's where our message is most important and most needed um, for these young people. So our first event this year was right in the heart of Florida and uh, uh, it was a wonderful event. We didn't face any problems, but you know, in those areas that you talk about where all this backlash is, that is where our message is most needed for these young people. Well, God bless you. I <laughs> thank God.
1: I mean, it's like that is exactly what is needed, and we need it right in, in that place. It, it makes no sense to, um, to, to give in to these. Um, Brody, I do want to pivot back to you, though, on, about the Trevor Project and the story you're working on there. Can you set us up and let us know what's going on there, and especially positioning why Rainbow Youth Project
2: is so important? Well, the, uh, there had been an ongoing effort which was successful uh, by a group called Friends of Trevor United. It's a union shop now. Uh, it is uh, a local for the communication workers uh, union. And essentially it was uh, to, re- to, to basically to unionize not only the Trevor shop but for its communications workers, which are, of course, the call center folk. Uh, which would allow them to collectively bargain for, you know, better pay uh, benefits and more importantly, you know, with the shifts and all the craziness that goes with it. Um, for a long time, uh, Trevor uh, was on board with it. And then once the union was recognized, which was in the middle of April, um on the first of this month, they went after to obtain what's known as the Weingarten rights. Now, what the Weingarten rights are, is it entitles union representative employees, okay, to have representatives present during any interview or meeting with management that any of the employees could believe uh, leads to disciplinary problems. And that's when things started to get a little ugly. the The trickle down effect of this. Back and forth with the union and with Trevor, the direct impact has been on the actual uh, wait times for the call center, and that's for these kids that are calling into Trevor for help. There has been several instances where they quite literally have gotten a message uh, displayed that, for all intents and purposes, said, sorry, all of our callers are busy right now. Please call back later. I'm obviously paraphrasing the actual wording on the website wait times to reach a counselor are higher than usual thanks for your patience we will be back soon we've heard from multiple kids that they finally gave up uh because they just they couldn't it, the one thing i need to note here and i say this not as a journalist but as a parent and as a grandparent especially with adolescents you know everything with an adolescent is a sense of immediacy it's in the now it's not unlike the instant gratification that we experience as parents when the kids want something. When they are in a stressful situation and they are in a situation that would lead to really bad decisions, and a lot of times because there's so much internalized stress brought about by external factors and because they get this overwhelming sense of hopelessness and grief, they want somebody right like then, right now. And then when they have a source that they have been told and have come to rely upon suddenly isn't available and they are in a non-affirming house or they are in a non-affirming environment and they really don't have any place else to look, to change, to reach out to, sometimes it looks like the best strategy is an exit strategy on a permanent basis. Over the probably last 15 years, I guess, I've interviewed, uh, survivors of suicide. I've interviewed the parents. Uh, one of my uh, folks that I know is, uh, Jane Clemente and of course her son, uh, made a huge impact when Tyler was, um, filmed by his roommate. He was a freshman at Rutgers university in New Jersey and his roommate, uh, surreptitiously, uh, filmed Tyler having sex with another man. Uh, Tyler was closeted for the most part. Um, The bad part was the roommate streamed it live on the Internet. Tyler, in a panic, didn't know what to do, lost it. He literally drove in rush hour traffic to the middle of the George Washington Bridge, which sits literally between the Highlands of North New Jersey and Manhattan, parked the car in the middle of the bridge, and leaped to his death. This is not the only death that year that we recorded. Actually, that particular year there was close to 170, and the Trevor Project had been working hard.
1: I I, want to, I want to jump in on uh, because yes, the kids calling up in a desperate situation—they, they're you know who knows how, you know where they are. They may have gotten to a phone. It's the only time they can talk. That that is. It, it is horrible that, that that phone call is not picked up right away. I still didn't get why that is happening.
2: I don't understand what the union okay, well, issues I, if, are. If you let me continue my happened. explanation here, I'll I'll run you and, my list and, and all the listeners through this, okay? I have to give you guys the context of what, what's going on. During that pandemic in 2010, Trevor had beefed up its resources at the same time Dan Savage and his husband had launched – the It's Gets Better project, which Trevor signed off on as, as part of. Over the years, they had built up a staff, but Trevor had also gone through some management changes, and one of the things that they did was that they also, in some eyes, overextended themselves. A year ago, they opened up a call center in Mexico City, for example. There were constant complaints from Trevor's staff that there wasn't enough support for them. As a result of this latest effort, there simply just weren't enough people staffing the phone lines and also online. There's, um, Trevor's got a unique instant chat system so that if the kids aren't able to use the phones for obvious reasons, like if they're in a hostile environment or a non-affirming phone, they can chat directly with a Trevor counselor. But if you don't have a counselor there to chat with and you get that voice message, we go back to the other problem. Right now, what we're seeing as a direct result of all of the last two years and this last year, especially this last legislative season, with all of these anti-trans and uh, anti-LGBTQ-oriented laws, don't say gay, book bans you know, pick a topic, the kids are feeling so much pressure. They're being squeezed out of resources, particularly in Florida. And so they're trying to reach out, and now at the other end of this, the Trevor Call Centers are understaffed. So it's a back and forth to the problem being the call volume and the percentage of kids seeking assistance has tripled. Okay, During the early part of the spring, when Texas first started talking and passing, even just discussions about these anti-trans laws, The Trevor Project saw a 300% increase in calls for assistance. As a matter of fact, they released it in some of their reports that they've been doing. And that's been the other thing that has caused problems with the Trevor staff. They felt that there are – we've been told confidentially that they feel there's too much emphasis on doing these research studies and not, not enough bodies sitting on computers and phones to help these kids. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have enough bodies there, guess what? And so what we're seeing is another cycle. And it's important why I referred back to that first pandemic, because that was only 176-odd kids that we were able to count. There were probably more, obviously. Now we're looking at probably triple that figure even more. And it's become a critical, critical issue. So there's some of the background. The story's being developed. It's being worked on. So what I just gave you is a thumbnail sketch of what my reporters and I are working on now. We still have a lot more questions. And I'll be honest with you, we're not getting a lot of answers out of Trevor.
1: Yeah.
2: So they, So what I'm hearing is that they, the big source
1: of this is a misallocation of their resources going towards research and kind of big uh, big public type stuff, rather than the really staffing for the on the ground, the, the immediate help um, type aspect of what they should be doing.
2: Is that a fair assessment? That's a fair assessment. I would add to that that they are also, even within the staffing concerns, you know, because one of the reasons the shop unionized is because of scheduling and trying to work with the paid staff and the volunteer staff to work out schedules for these kids. You know, you never know when these kids are gonna call. It could be three o'clock in the morning. But you have to have these lines, you have to have these things staffed.
1: Yeah, that should be their their primary focus. Um, Lance, I do wanna go to you because that does beg a bigger question. And this may be a bias on my part, but having seen this over the years, I see a lot of our advocacy organizations Start out because there is a dire pressing need. Um, the community and our ally community, you know, extended, which is now very celebrity um, populated and and gets lots of exposure, raises a lot of funds. The funds go into these organizations. And a lot of times instead of that funding going directly to the cause and the need that they're Therefore, they go towards building a corporate entity um, and all the related costs there. Um, how is Rainbow Youth Project keeping that from happening?
0: Well, to be quite honest, Rainbow Youth Project is truly focused on the mental health of these young people. Um, we do operate a crisis center. We're currently, we're set up to take 100 calls a day. We're currently taking just over 400. Um, this past weekend, we took over a 1,000 between Friday at 8 a.m. and Monday at 8 a.m. So our call increase has been significant and doesn't seem to be slowing down. But our focus is on the true mental health. We understand that crisis calls need to be addressed, and we address them 24-7. But while we have the young people on the phone, we try to work with them and their families to not put a Band-Aid on with a crisis call because that doesn't help us on our journey to, to mental health stability. We try to get them in immediate mental health counseling so that we can prevent the next crisis. That is our right. focus. That is our, our biggest priority. So we don't, we don't worry about doing the research. We don't worry about doing the studies. We have our own internal statistics that we keep up with just for our own purposes. But our sole focus is our number one cause is the mental health and the suicide prevention and the crisis intervention of kids. Some of these kids will just call at 2 o'clock in the morning because they want someone to tell them that it's going to be okay. Some of them will call, and, uh, in fact, I'll I'll give you just, it's morbid, but it's a fact. Just a few weeks ago we had a young person who called who had already taken a large quantity of medication, and she said, you're not Hmm. going to prevent this. I just want someone to talk to me while I go to sleep. And luckily, we were able to save that child. That child is in mental health counseling today, got her to the ER. So that is really where we are focused. We're not focused on the the corporate aspect of it. Um, Everyone that works for Rainbow Youth Project is a volunteer. No one is paid. We all are dedicated to the cause. Our leadership team, all of us attempted suicide as teens due to our sexual orientation, so we take the cause very seriously, and we've always set out that that was going to be our purpose and our reason, and and we've not altered from that. Unfortunately, we don't have the budget that, you know, some of the larger organizations have. We operated last year on less than $50,000, um, excluding some private donors who just paid for mental health counseling on their own directly to counselors, um, so again, our focus is the mental health. We, we are growing as Brody knows, we have, have impacted a large number of kids across the country. And we're very pleased with that, but we keep it personable and we keep it focused and we, um, the, the corporate part of it is this kind of secondary, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And it should be. Yeah, no, that, that makes, that act makes the ultimate sense. Um, I want to put out some numbers here. Um, As of May 8th, 2023, um, you guys placed 974 uh, LGBTQIA plus young people in mental health counseling across the United States. Um, Your mental health program currently has 623 active participants. Um, You've assisted 283 homeless LGBTQ plus uh, young people located in secure, stable, Supportive Housing, and um, you are currently providing non-surgical, gender-affirming health care assistance to 67 adults, ranging in ages from 27 to 68. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about those programs?
0: Sure. Um, The mental health program, like I said, is the number one focus. Um, Of the 623 active participants, now, this is all free mental health. Um, It does not cost the families or these young people anything. And as statistics show us, um, you know, right at 60% of LGBTQIA plus young people last year who were seeking mental health were unable to attain it. Um, So we try to fill that gap. Um, In doing so, we have counselors and have built a network with most major universities across the country. But what we're seeing with the mental health program right now is something Brody touched on earlier. Like in the state of Texas, we have families that do not want their child to see a therapist in the state of Texas. The same is going on in Florida, the same is going on in Oklahoma and Wyoming right now because they're afraid that they will be reported to CPS or that they will end up in trouble somehow for supporting their young people. So in those situations, we literally have to try to work around that and, and build up a trust between those families and the licensed therapists in their state, just to get these young people into that treatment. We also have a huge problem with moms for Liberty who, if they find out that one of our kids, one of these kids is in our program, they will try to convince the parents to take them out of it, which has also created a distrust with the parents in those states specifically. 44% of those 623 currently active participants in our mental health program have attempted suicide in the past 12 months. So we're dealing with very high risk LGBTQIA kids with significant self-harming behaviors. And that's why that mental health program is so important because they could call in today, we know they're gonna call in a week from now, another time two weeks from now, whenever another crisis occurs, Our number one goal is to prevent those crises through that mental health stability program. And the same with our homeless youth. Many of the homeless youth, the the key to that is building up trust with them. They do not trust anyone. They've been rejected. Some of them are as young as 13 that have literally been put on the streets to do whatever they have to to survive. Their life becomes a barter. Everything becomes a transaction. So when you offer them assistance, the first thing they want to know is what they have to do for it. That is truly just sad that you have these kids who believe that everything they do has to be a barter in order for them to get something, whether it be food, a shower, or just a bed for the night. So we have to build up trust with those young people as well. And that sometimes is much more difficult because you have a lot of of homeless organizations throughout the country that do not accept juveniles. They will not accept minors. So we literally have to spend more time working with our homeless youth to get them into uh, you know, a, a, a safe space. Many of those young kids have already been in safe spaces that are specifically designed for minors and they have been assaulted or they have been abused or they have been mistreated and there's no trust there either. So that of course makes that problem even much more difficult. But I'm very happy to say that our case management team, they're used to these things. It's sad that they have to be used to them but they are and they know how to handle them and they handle them very, very well. Um, 283 kids between 13 and 19 that we got into safe and stable housing just in the past year. Some of those kids, it meant actually getting them relocated to a friend or family where they could stay, actually getting some of them emancipated through you know various county courts or getting our case managers appointed as guardian ad litems and getting them into their own housing situation. But we go that extra mile because that's important, and that's why that program is successful. With our transgender health care assistance program, as you guys probably know, we have many states that have now cut off Medicaid, Medicare uh, you know, benefits for gender-affirming care. We have a 68-year-old who is in a nursing home that has been on HRT for 20-something years and just immediately had to stop because it was no longer available. We step in and make sure that they are seeing physicians, we make sure that they're getting the prescriptions, and we pick up all the costs for that if there's a demonstrated hardship where they cannot otherwise attain it. Um, it's a lot of case management for us. Our case managers are involved with all of these people several times a week. We have a policy that any child that has recently attempted suicide or has you know, self-harming behavior issues, that we send them an email or a text or a card You know, maybe we we had one who just wanted a pair of shoes, and we just pitched in and bought the shoes and sent them. Those little things make it very personable and make and build the trust that we need Mm -hmm. to get these young people and even some of the adults in our transgender healthcare assistance program where they need to be, where they feel accepted, they feel loved, they feel embraced, and they feel supported. We currently are seeing a major rise in bullying at schools. We have a 13-year-old um, that there's an article uh, Brody, one of Brody's reporters is working on now. This 13-year-old came out as a lesbian last year and was just jumped by a group of boys twice in her school, ended up with a, a nose fracture, a fracture and cast on her arm, lumps on her head, bruised ribs, and the school said, this is kids being kids. Um, it's just horse. We have another 13 trans, 13-year-old trans kid in upstate New York who was hit so hard in the back with a ball intentionally after being called trans and uh, 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 a chick with a, you know, and the school again said, this was horseplay, there's nothing we can do. And with those come crisis because these kids feel completely isolated. These kids that are being bullied at that level, um, they become isolated. They don't want to go to school. They literally make themselves sick or they will cry and beg not to go back to school. Then the school punishes them by counting them as absent, and the one kid is being failed because she refused to go back to school out of fear. So we deal with a lot of different things, and, again, um, it's not getting better. We've seen a rapid increase, 476% in crisis calls over the last four months. Um, We are having to take rollover calls from projects like the Trevor Project where no one is available. We have kids that call us all the time and say, I tried here or I tried there. No one was available. So we make it a point that someone is available at all times. We are starting our virtual peer groups again to connect these kids with other kids like them throughout the country on the, in a virtual setting. We target rural areas where there are not a lot of resources and, and try to bring those kids into those peer groups and get them the support that they need. And it's just sad that we're seeing so many different crises at one time. Last year, at this time, our number one reason for a crisis call was family rejection. Do you know what our number one reason is in the past three months? My government hates me and my government wants me to die. That is sad. So Brody is right when he says just the talk of these bills, just the talk of – you know, banning books or or what have you, even if those bills never went through, even if they were vetoed or if they didn't pass, it's already instilled the fear into these families and these kids, and we have to try to correct that every day. And that's one of the other reasons we go to these areas, Texas, Oklahoma. I am in Oklahoma, and we have staff in Oklahoma at least a couple of times a month because we're hitting these head-on and trying to make a difference so these kids see that it's going to be okay. We've just got to get them through it. Right.
1: Um, Lance, I want to ask you, because we, we talk about this in a kind of a homogenous lump in terms of the families, because there are absolutely great families out there that want to do the best by their kids, and they are tragically um, caught in the crosshairs, and they are being oppressed themselves. They're being threatened themselves. But then there are other families where the family is the problem where the child is up against parents who are not supportive um, at all. Um, Can you help navigate that for us? What is the difference and how do you handle kids from each of those different
0: backgrounds separately? Sure, because when we talk about 60% of these kids who seek mental health not being able to attain it, 20% of those cannot get it because a parent will not consent. So We have been in one of those situations, and, in fact, the Los Angeles Blade co-filed one of those last year where the – just to be brief, the child was in a very religious family in the state of Texas, fell in love with another young gay boy his age at church. That boy's parents found out and outed him, um, which resulted in three suicide attempts. At the same time, the church is trying to put him in conversion therapy. The mother would – give consent for him to join our counseling then she would be told that he was going to burn in hell and she was going to go to hell so she would withdraw that consent he would go back into self-harming behaviors we went through this with this family for several months so what we try to do in those situations if at all possible and it's not always possible we try to get that family into counseling as well to support them um, to try to explain to them um, we literally have to explain sometimes that doing mental health Suicide prevention via telehealth is not going to result in a surgical procedure being done on their child. Um, That's how far down the rabbit hole some of these families go. But we try to bring the entire family in because we have to recognize that not only is one child coming out, but that family is kind of coming out too. And we try to support Mm -hmm. those families. Um, And and, in putting mom, dad, or even siblings and the family into different counseling to help each other get through whatever's going on. I will say this. I don't know an exact number, but I'm going to guess and say 90% of our families, once that child has attempted suicide, that is kind of the turning point where they realize we have to do something. But we Mm -hmm. do have those that still will say no. No. I don't want them to be involved in anything that has to do with LGBTQIA counseling. And that's kind of a misunderstanding because our counseling is not focused on their sexual orientation. Our counseling is focused on keeping them alive. It just so happens that that is a part of the reason that they feel like they have no hope. And in working with those families, we found it pretty successful. Um, We don't always succeed, I'm the first to admit that. Um, But most of these families are willing to go into the counseling as well. Even on a, you know, it's a separate counseling for the parents to help guide them through what is going on with their child. And uh, one thing I wanted to
1: pivot a little bit on, um, you guys provide health care assistance for people over the age of 18, um, especially those who have demonstrated a hardship in receiving medical and mental health services. Um, what, and not that you guys can do everything in the whole world, but um, what, what is the help available for these kids where their, you know, puberty uh, blockers and that kind of health care is being ripped away from them?
0: Um, where, where should they go for help? You know, we actually were, were participating and trying to set up a network that would help those kids. And what happened was as these laws started to pass, a lot of the physicians that we were working with literally got out of the business. They, they were too Mm -hmm. afraid of being charged with a felony. They were trying to navigate exactly what the laws meant, exactly what they didn't mean. They were very confused as to what was going on. And many of the physicians that we worked with sent us a, a notice saying from now on, I am only doing 18 and over. So what we have done with that is there is, is a network that is currently underway putting this together where kids can get the same type of, of transgender gender-affirming care that they were getting in another state. For instance, there's a wonderful organization that's one of our partners that's called Elevated Access. Elevated Access is an organization with over 800 private pilots with private aircraft that volunteer to fly these families to a location where they can get gender-affirming care for their young person. And that network is growing every day, which is wonderful. Some of the sanctuary states um, are being very helpful. But because this is constantly evolving with this bill, this is something that's just having to evolve with it. Yeah, it's, um,
1: it, it's a, a real hardship uh, because it is being legislated by people who are not medical <laughs> They're i mean they exactly. don't even know um and one of my frustrations is that that the big medical advocacy groups are not vocal enough mm-hmm. and and should be on the front lines fighting this stuff um you know they're the ones that are seen as quote unquote the experts and i don't know that they have taken enough of a leadership role um how i mean This seems like you guys are trying to boil the ocean um, in your outreach. Um, What are the challenges and what are your growth needs um, for you to do the work you're doing?
0: You know, we have three primary focuses. Number one is to make sure that these young people know that we're available to help them. That's first and foremost. Second, to make sure that the rural areas, um, some of our best partners are teachers, schools, Children's hospitals um, refer people to us all the time, which we love. So we've built up that network. But in the rural areas, it's very difficult. So we try to go into those small towns in North Carolina, small towns in Tennessee and Georgia to make sure that these young people know that we're available. And third is funding. You know, last year we operated, like I said, on a budget less than $50,000. And people don't seem to realize that, you know, to provide these services costs money. And nine times out of 10, when you're dealing with, you know, suicide prevention or crisis intervention, the donations go to the very large organizations. And yet it's, I'm not being disparaging to those organizations, but it's small grassroots organizations like ours on a local level that are actually doing the footwork and literally having to scrape pennies together to make it happen. And, and that's Mm -hmm. truly our biggest problem. And, um, I have to say that we do well. We have a policy that says no kid in crisis gets ignored and gets denied service. If we have to pull out a personal credit card and take care of something, we do that and we figure it out later because our number one goal is these kids. It's not about donor dollars. It's not about, you know, what celebrity is doing a PSA for us. We love all of that and it's great, but our number one focus is truly these kids and what their needs are.
1: And one question I have, this is sort of going a whole different area, but how you mentioned that you you and your team um, all have come up through this It's like you're not coming from the outside, you know, unaware of these issues. You have lived these issues. Um, you yourself received an enormous amount of hate growing up from the Southern Baptist Church, and um, yes. you've talked about you know your own suicide attempt. How how do you Guys, keep
0: from having this
1: being triggering for you.
0: You know what? And and it's something that 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 is triggering at times. Um, in fact, I have staff members, Chris, who is one of my my dearest friends, that I have to call sometimes and say, you know what? This this is what is going on right now, and it really bothers me. Even our crisis specialists, though, they are required after every phone call to take a 30-minute break and talk to another crisis specialist to talk through the situation. So we do have our own internal support system that we utilize. I'm going to be honest with you. One of the hardest things of my life, um, even a year and a half after doing, starting this, is when I get that text notification that is what we call a SIP. And an SIP is a suicide in progress. And it will detail the situation that the crisis specialist is in, and it alerts every staff member of our organization to be on call, ready to go to support this family and this young person. Some of those I break down. Um, they're just heartbreaking, and they are triggering, but yet we're capable of recognizing that, and we immediately go in and talk to one of our own crisis specialists about what we're feeling. And, and that's one of the best things that, that I like. We're, we're, we're small enough that we can take care of each other and that we can be bold enough to tell one another, Hey, you need to take a break. Um, you need to just take a break and, and being able to recognize that and to give that constructive criticism to a colleague in our organization is one of the best things that we have, but you're right. It can be triggering. Um, in the past eight days, we've had two completed suicides. Um, those are always hard. People say uh, it even gets me now. Those are so hard because no matter how many of them you see, they're hard. They're difficult, and they take a toll on you. And you always, for me, I have a bad habit of sitting and thinking, "What did we miss? What there's got to be something we missed? There has to be something that we could have done." And it's a matter of just admitting and talking that through and realizing that we did do everything that we could, and unfortunately, it wasn't enough right yeah it's hard it's hard
1: i mean that's one of the things with this assault and coming from all directions and in every news cycle and you know it 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 wears on everybody and and it's and and it is difficult um let's do some housekeeping though how can people support you how can they donate what other ways can they support what you're doing
0: um, you know, one thing that we are trying to do is with our uh, our peer support groups is we're looking for volunteers um, who would want to work those, those virtual sessions. We're also looking on our website, if you go to get involved, you can print off our brochures at home and give them out, which details how to get free mental health counseling, how to contact us for crisis. People can donate pretty simply by texting RAINBOW to 801801 or they can go to our website. We are on ActBlue. They can also go to ActBlue to donate to the Rainbow Youth Project. Um, We are also a verified charity on Venmo. So there's plenty of ways to get involved, and we truly appreciate all the support that we get um, because it's literally 99% of every dollar that we receive goes to the program. Our overhead for our office space, for our telephone systems, for our computer systems, was paid for by a private donor all the way through 2025. So literally all of the money that comes into us goes right back into the program. And uh, the the facilitator volunteers you talked about first, how did they get in contact to find out more about that? Um, They can actually reach out to – they can go to our website and submit a contact submission form, or they can reach out to admin, A-D-M-I-N, at rainbowyouthproject.org and they'll receive a response within 24 hours it's usually not even that long because the volunteer network is something that we're truly trying to to build up well great
1: lance thank you so much for coming on today we're down to our last three minutes uh, appreciate you for everything you do first and foremost and second of all for coming in and talking to us about it
0: today um what no uh, thank uh, you for having live- and and for bringing attention to these young people because right now they need us more than people realize yeah no uh we're we're definitely there
1: for it i'll give you the last words on this what what else do people need to know
0: you know always support these kids be strong in your allyship um these kids are being attacked and harassed in public spaces like Target, Walmart, just for looking at pride items. And we have had countless reports of children who have had to be escorted out of stores just for looking at rainbow items. So always speak up. You know, I, like I said, I'm from the 80s and 90s, act up Queer Nation Day. Don't, don't, don't be quiet um, because that silence can be deadly for these kids. Perfect. And that is, that is a mantra
1: that many of us have lived for for years. Silence equals death. Um, Do not let these kids die. Do not stay silent. Um, Again, I want to thank Lance Preston, founder and executive editor of the Rainbow Youth Project USA. I want to thank Brody Levesque for his work not only on this show, but uh, do watch for articles coming out in the Los Angeles Blade. That's losangelesblade.com. Uh, You should check that every day for new breaking news anyway, but definitely watch for these stories that are in development um, to read more about it. Um, For those of us that have rated LGBT radio, we will be back again next week with a really exciting program. No idea what it is, but I can guarantee you it will be well worth your time. Um, And with that, we will sign out for today. And we will talk to you again very, very soon.
0: You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.